You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Jason Gibbs. Today's podcast is entitled Navigating Global Markets. And what a time it's been in the markets the past few years. We've gone from major euphoria post-COVID in certain stocks to a sense of almost despondency in some parts of the market in 2022, which probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise for those who have been in the markets a long time, like my guest Ryan Nickel here. Ryan and I have been working together as colleagues for many years on the equity income team. Ryan is the lead portfolio manager of the Dynamic Global Equity Income Fund and the Dynamic Global Strategic Yield Fund. And he's going to talk to us today about how he's navigating the markets in this environment and some of the opportunities that he's seen. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Ryan, how are you? Good to see you. I'm good. Thanks, Jason. Well, Ryan, maybe we can start off before we get into uh, some major topics. Maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background as an investor. Sure. The easiest way to describe myself is as a fundamental, intrinsic value folks investor. So at the end of the day, pretty much everything I do is focused on what are the companies we invest in worth versus what do they cost? So I'm, I'm really kind of the guy at the computer screen, at the Bloomberg screen, digging into the fundamentals of businesses. What does the cash flow look like? What does the competitive moat look like? What are the fundamentals of these businesses? And then trying to come to a well-reasoned estimate of intrinsic value and then from that point, it's, it's simple. It's really just buying the best set of quality businesses we can find that trade at a discount to what we think they're worth. And this approach has really been developed through my background. If you go back all the way to the start, I started as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, focused on cross-border mergers and acquisitions, where you know every day for many hours a day, I was focused on valuation work, uh, building discounted cash flow models, understanding the intrinsic value of our businesses, and I really build up the solid technicals, the fundamentals to analyze companies, uh, analyzing of statements, cash flow statements, and really build my fundamentals uh, from the ground up. From there, I moved to the investment side at a pension fund that was very much focused on long-term value investing. So the businesses we were looking at were, what is the long-term durable competitive moat? And what are these businesses worth? What is their intrinsic value? And buying at a discount. I've been at Dynamic now for six and a half years, and, and my philosophy really hasn't changed. It's, it's fundamental, it drives everything that I do, and it comes back to the core question of just, you know, what are businesses worth versus what they're trading at, and that's my kind of sole day-to-day -day focus. My goodness, the past few years have been quite the lesson in uh, the emotions of the market, right? We go from a state of euphoria in certain stocks uh, last year to 2022, where there's a bit of despondency in certain parts of the market, and there's been a huge comeback in some of those euphoric stocks. But you know what I'd be interested in as a value manager? How did you manage through the 2021 period where so many of these companies and stocks that had no cash flows and earnings were driven up to wild valuations? How did you manage through that? Yeah, so it's interesting. 2021 is really an extension of 2020. So COVID hit and the market sold off very violently. And then it rallied almost equally violently, initially driven by work from home beneficiaries. But that broadened out over the course of 2020 and 2021 into buying growth stocks, you know, technology focus, but really anything that had high growth potential was being priced at ever expanding multiples. And we got to a point when you got towards the end of 2021, where there was a pretty clear grouping of stocks in the market. 
So if you looked at the one side, there was the growth stocks that had done so well for about 18 months coming out of the initial hit from COVID. And if you looked at you know, the MSCI World Growth Index or just you know, at individual stocks, you know, pick one like a Tesla or like a Peloton, the multiples that they got to were very, very stretched and couldn't, if I was going to model one with a discounted cash flow model, I couldn't get to a reasonable set of assumptions that would get me to those target prices. So the growth stocks in aggregate started to look kind of like they're in a bubble territory and, and almost approached the levels that they got to in the 2000 tech bubble. Those were a large component of the broader markets, and that dragged up the, you know, the multiple, the, the expensiveness of the broader indices as a whole. What was maybe not as talked about as much at the time and is now more obvious in retrospect was that there was a big group of companies that were left behind. So a lot of the more defensive, higher free cash flow yielding, slower growing, but still growing, but quality defensive businesses that are kind of our bread and butter, they got left behind and they never really got expensive. So if you looked at their multiples, so the MSI World you know, High Dividend Yield Index or the MSI World Value Index is you know, just proxies for them, they were kind of just trading in line with historical averages. At the same time, there was a bubble going on in growth stocks. So we position as accordingly. That, that fit well for our mandate. We run a defensive dividend-focused fund. Uh, we bought a large quantity of defensive staples and healthcare and utilities businesses with good free cash flow yields, good dividend yields, just attractive defensive businesses that weren't you know, maybe as exciting as the growth stocks. But when we did our fundamental work, we saw that they were undervalued and, and we couldn't find that in other pockets of the market. So, you know, kind of coming out of 2021, uh, we were sitting at something like 55% of our fund was in, call it defensives plus cash versus just 45% in traditional cyclicals, which is a huge defensive positioning skew versus what, say, like the MSCI World Index would be, which is only 30% defensives and 70% cyclicals. And part of that is our defensive mandate, but the largest part of that was just that was where we saw the opportunity. And that positioning has played out well year to date. The rise in interest rates has driven a sell-off in growth stocks, and, and we've been relatively well insulated from that. And the funds have benefited as a result of our positioning. And that just all comes back to our, our focus on valuation and not chasing what's working, but simply focusing on businesses, what their long-term value is, and holding the ones that we think are, are undervalued. So I guess that brings us to this year. Many of our listeners will certainly want to hear your thoughts on what's going on this year. As everyone knows, this has been one of the toughest years in the equity markets in a long time. Again, for those who know their history and who've been invested for a long time, it won't be too surprising. This is what markets do. They kind of run the roller coaster. However, saying that, there's got to be a lot of opportunities out there. I know, Ryan, you and I could talk about it quite frequently. So, so maybe for our listeners, talk about some of the opportunities that you're seeing this year, maybe some of the changes that you've made in the fund. It's hard for me to exactly say like a specific opportunity. It's because the opportunities are now so broad-based. I was talking about before how there's a select group of attractive options at the end of 2021. Where we are now with the, the massive sell-off and growth and, and cyclicals, there's a lot of broad-based opportunities across the market. So I think it's easy to tell the story and to say how our fund has shifted over the course of the year. So if you look at the end of 2021, we were massively overweight defensive businesses because that's where we saw the value but also because that's our mandate. We're essentially running a defensive dividend yield focused investment fund. So we were at the time of the end of last year, we were at about 55% of our fund was in defensives plus cash and about 45% was in cyclicals. That was very, very defensive when you consider that the MSCI World Index, which is our benchmark, is about 70% cyclicals and 30% defensives. What we've done progressively throughout the year was we've taken our cash down as the market has sold off. Not surprisingly, we're valuation focused investors. Stocks look cheaper. We're getting more ideas, more upside in the names we look at. 
and our cash has gone down throughout the course of the year on, on the sell-off from about 9% at the start of the year to about 2% as the end of last quarter. We have been selectively trimming some of our defensives. They've held in relatively better, which means they have been, you know, they're now relatively a little bit less attractive than they were. And I've been adding um, primarily to a lot of those old growth stocks that I used to think were far overvalued that I think are now a lot more recently priced. So where our ads have been throughout the course of the year has been into technology, into internet media and retail stocks, into consumer discretionary stocks. And so you've seen the composition of our fund shift. It's been, you know, it's a pendulum. It's not a, it's not a wholesale shift, but it is a shift over time where we've been buying some of those previously too expensive growth stocks. We've been improving the growth characteristics of our fund and the quality of our fund by adding to tech and internet media and, and discretionary, as I said. So the mix has shifted from being kind of 45% cyclicals, 55% defensives to now being kind of 10% the other way. So now 55% cyclicals, 45% defensives and cash. That change has mostly been the cash coming down, but also a little bit of a sale on the defensive side. And so the fund has changed a little bit because the opportunity set has changed. So overall, the, the projected growth of the fund has gone up. The discount that we would have seen in terms of our price earnings multiple and, and our premium free cash flow yield has narrowed towards the index, but our, certainly our, our growth and quality has improved throughout the year as it's progressed. And, and where we sit now is, um, I think, better balance between growth and value, better balance within sectors. We have been focused uh, primarily on businesses that are overpricing recession versus avoiding businesses that we think maybe underpriced the impact of COVID normalizing. If I look at it now, we're, we're sitting at a fully deployed cash position with a well-balanced uh, sector mix, and uh, I'm very, very positive on the risk-reward characteristics we sit at today in our fund. One of the interesting aspects I've always found of the markets, when the headlines are most positive, that's probably when your risk is a bit on the high side in terms of putting uh, new money to work and investing. When the headlines are the most negative, that's when your risk is the lowest, speaking in very general terms. And that's where your future opportunities are the best. Of course, not that you can ever 100% uh, time these things, but looking at individual stocks. Brian, recession, that is certainly, speaking of headlines, that's certainly something that a lot of those listening will want to ask about, given it is in the headlines. How do you look at recession risk and uh, in terms of how it impacts your companies and your investment process? I don't think I have a particularly strong ability to call whether there'll be a recession or not. I'm a fundamental company-focused investor. I'm not really trying to predict will there be a recession or won't there be a recession. I can see arguments for both sides as I look at it on the argument for recession. It's pretty clear that higher interest rates are impacting, inflation is a problem. You are seeing kind of cracks in the foundation, if you want to call it that, things like semiconductor cycle rolling over, FedEx cutting their shipping estimates, consumer discretionary stocks profit warning as demand has fallen. These are all classic signs you would see kind of early indicators in a recession. On the other side of that, you know, it's a pretty one-sided argument right now that investors think a recession is coming. On the other side, the more positive side, if there is a recession coming, someone forgot to tell the consumer because they keep spending at incredible rates. If you look at the nominal year-over-year consumer spending out there, it's running close to 10% just based on credit card data and other sources. That is an incredibly high level that is not indicative of a recession. At the same time, employment is very, very strong. Unemployment is very, very low. Perhaps most importantly for stocks, Earnings have held in very, very well. I think we've come about 2 or 3% off the peak, but earnings are still up year to date and year over year basis. That is not indicative of a recession. So there's kind of opposing factors. Yes, there's clearly a lot of headlines around recession. There's clearly some signs of things cracking, but a lot of the core drivers like earnings, like consumer spending are still very, very strong. So that leaves me kind of 
at a point where I don't know if there will be a recession. There might be, there might not be. But what's more important, I think, from my perspective is to a certain degree, whether there is a recession or not, doesn't really matter that much for the long-term outlook for stocks. If you think of stocks as kind of in bond terms of their duration, the duration of stocks is very, very long. If you think of a higher yielding, slower growing stock, if you go and you model a DCF, you project out their cash flows into the future and you discount them back appropriately, the duration, kind of the midpoint of future cash flow is greater than 10 years. If you go look at higher growth stocks with higher multiples, the duration is measured in 20, 30, 40 type years. So whenever you're looking at stocks, you're really talking about the future value of businesses that are determined and measured in decades rather than in certainly not in months and, and not in years. Back to the point of recession, whether GDP on a global basis is minus 2% this year or plus 2% this year doesn't really matter that much to the long-term intrinsic value of the businesses we invest in. It, of course, matters more to stocks, and stocks are more volatile than their intrinsic value, and therein lies the opportunity. So year-to-date, you know, as we record this, the, the market is down almost 25%, but earnings have gone up. So it's really been entirely multiple contraction thus far. Certainly earnings can break down as we go forward, but you know, you're at a starting point where the multiple has gotten a lot cheaper. A lot of businesses are certainly pricing in a recession and whether or not that's going to come through is certainly debatable at this point in time. So Ryan, in the context of the major sell-off that we've seen uh, generally this year, why don't you talk about some of the opportunities you're seeing in your global funds? The opportunity set now is more attractive than it's been in a, in a long, long period of time. So, you know, as I mentioned, there's been a pretty much entirely multiple driven derating in stocks year to date. They're off almost 25%. And that's put us at a point now where historical multiples, if you look at it on price earnings multiples or free cash flow yields, are basically back to in line with their long-term averages. So you could say, okay, they're in line with long-term averages. That means they're fairly valued. It's obviously a more complicated argument than that. You could say, okay, maybe earnings risk is a little bit higher now than it's been on average historically because of interest rates and inflation and recession. But on the other side of that, I would argue that the opportunity set, the quality of businesses that make up the global indices at this point in time is probably better than they've ever been. So if you look at how the you know, global stock index is, is made up these days, the biggest bucket of it is what I would call IP-driven businesses, R&E-driven businesses things like technology, like internet media companies, like healthcare. These are businesses that drive their competitive moat through R&D, through network effects. These businesses have very, very high margins. They have very, very sticky businesses with high switching costs. They have good long-term growth prospects. That's a very, very large chunk of the index right now that is in very high quality, high growth, strong, stable businesses. You kind of start going through the sectors and then you get into energy, which is in a very, very strong supply and demand balance right now that puts them in good position. You go into things like financials and materials that are generally beneficiaries of uh, inflation and higher interest rates, financials beneficiaries of higher net interest margins, materials beneficiaries of higher commodity prices. And you kind of add all those up and you're getting to something like two thirds of the sectors that are in relatively good position to weather the current environment that are the core backbone of the market is in very, very good businesses. And I haven't even got to some of the other defensives like staples and utilities and, and some other good business and discretion and industrials. It's, it's easy to build a very, very diversified set because there's a lot of high quality businesses out there. And now that we've had an entirely multiple driven derating, the opportunity set is much, much more broad. There's still the kind of, you know, board defensive businesses we thought were attractive at the start of the year. Those are still attractive. Now, a lot of the more kind of growthy names that have sold off are also more attractive. 
And what we're doing on a day-to-day basis is just trying to understand where the opportunity lies. So that, that includes things like going, say, okay, which of this is really just COVID over earners that have sold off? And you know that is not an opportunity, but how much of this is just a recession being priced in that is, you know, there may or may not be a recession, but regardless, it might be a bit overpriced. And we're just focused on saying, where is intrinsic value? How much is this shifted? And where are the price opportunities? And we're, we're, we're finding a broad set of investable ideas now that is far better than we're seeing at the end of 2021 and, and the best I've seen uh, in a long, long time. Ryan, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the common mistakes that you see investors make. This being a very humbling profession, of course, but uh, just your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I can think of mistakes kind of at a professional institutional level, and then there's obviously different mistakes at a more individual investor level. At the professional level, the mistakes that bother me the most, I would describe them as short-termism. If you look out kind of in the investing environment today, whether it's on CMBC, if you look at the sell-side analysts covering companies, just in investor news, there's a lot of focus on short-term issues, on things like momentum, things like catalysts that could drive shares higher or lower. This has led to an environment of people thinking of stocks in kind of like little bite-sized chunks that don't really tell the whole story. When I look at a stock, I focus on when we buy a stock, we're not just buying like a, you know, a, a quoted share price on a Bloomberg. We're buying a proportional ownership in a business. When we look at these businesses, they have a long-term value that is pretty sticky and, and we do our best to focus on, okay, what is the entire future value of this business, of this share, this proportional ownership that we own? And that is often not impacted much just by kind of how much they meet or, or miss by on the next quarter or what's a short-term catalyst. And I find the market gets driven by a lot of short-term narratives to the point where there's a lot more volatility in share prices than there should be relative to the underlying intrinsic value. So therein lies a mistake that others make, but also the opportunity that we find where there's a lot of short-term noise, uh, even at a professional level, investors short focused on issues that are meaningful on a short-term basis, but don't have that much impact on long-term intrinsic value. And when we see that happen, that's where we get opportunities to, to kind of sit back and focus on our fundamentals, focus on what we think our business is worth, and take advantage of that volatility and share price to add to positions or trim positions when the opportunity arises. It's different at a kind of individual level. Um, my advice to individual investors now is that it's easy to feel fear when the market's sold off by almost a quarter as it has uh, now. But I, I would just highlight the point that stocks are now less risky than they were a year ago. It's hard for a lot of people to understand that. But there's two fundamental risks in investing. There's fundamental risk and there's valuation risk. Fundamental risk is always there, it's always present. It's always a risk that the business is not as good as you thought it was, that something can go wrong. But the other side of that equation, valuation risk, that risk is much, much lower now. Stocks are cheaper. You can build a high quality portfolio with a good free cash flow yield, something like a 7% free cash flow yield, 3% plus dividend yield with good businesses that are certainly gonna grow over their time. Buying stocks at depressed prices and holding them for a long period of time compounding attractive returns over long term. This is the appropriate lower risk way to generate good investment returns over a long period of time. And the key for individual investors is to stay invested and, and take advantage of opportunities and just highlight the point that you know stocks are less risky now because they have sold off. They're not more risky. So take a long-term view, follow Warren Buffett and, and be greedy when others are fearful. So Ryan, putting it all together, who do you think should invest in your funds, the Dynamic Global Equity Income Fund and the Dynamic Global Strategic Yield Fund? Yeah, so 
anyone who's familiar with the Echo Income team will, will know kind of our approach. We're running a defensive quality dividend mandate, uh, and we're trying to generate a smoother path of returns over the long term. So global markets, um, but all equity markets are, are volatile, and we are trying to kind of smooth out the downside. So the expectation for our funds would be for them to outperform in drawdowns, and then to do our best to keep up with the market when they're rallying. We're, we're never going to have as much kind of immediate upside when the market first rallies, but you know, our focus on quality businesses with attractive valuations tend to compound very attractive risk-adjusted returns over the long term. If you want to think of our funds in terms of characteristics, if you look at dynamic global equity income fund, if you were to compare it to our benchmark, the MSCI World Index, the fund would have lower beta, it would have lower stock level volatility, so that our share prices on average would move around less than the average stock. We would have better credit ratings and lower leverage. We would have higher margins. We would have higher free cash flow margins, higher free cash flow conversion, higher return on equity, higher return on invested capital. So kind of all the characteristics of what we would call a defensive quality fund. But there's also a valuation focus. So we would have a lower price earnings multiple, higher free cash flow yield, higher dividend yield. So if you really want to kind of summarize the funds at a basic level, they're defensive, they're high quality, and they're attractively valued. So for are the best investors are, you know, that I think these funds were target with just maybe those who are a little bit nervous of losses. Our funds are designed to have defensive layers of protection built throughout them to go down less when the market sells off. And just to really develop a smooth path of returns with, with lower drawdowns and nice, steady, attractive risk-adjusted returns over the long term. So our, our funds are kind of defensive and predictable and high quality and attractive value. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. I think that's been a wonderful summary for our listeners of how you're looking at the markets and some of the opportunities that are out there. And there certainly are a lot of opportunities and how you've invested in your funds. So thanks so much, Ryan. And thanks to all of our listeners. This is another edition of On The Money. And on behalf of all of us at Dynamic Funds, we wish you all continued good health and safety. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. 